Well, tonight we're going to get into the next piece of our uh, church doctrinal statement having to do with salvation, which for those of us who are sitting here looking out a bunch, um, I think we got a pretty good handle on that for the most part. So tonight is going to be more of an encouragement for how to be very, very simple and clear with those that we're sharing the gospel with. And sometimes, uh, because we're so familiar with these concepts, we very easily uh, can use phrases that people don't quite understand, that sound nice and make sense to us, but wouldn't to somebody who's not familiar with church or the Bible or whatnot. So sometimes it's good just to scrub it down and just get very, very simple and basic to remind us these are the concepts and they are so fundamental we can't just gloss over them because we are used to them. Because if somebody doesn't pick up all the pieces, the whole gospel is not going to make sense. And that's an injustice to them. So we need to be very careful. So to start off tonight, uh, we are going to, Lord willing, get through that entire sheet. But I would like to uh, start you off with a video which kind of pulls all of these elements together into one 12-minute presentation. I've shown this to the teens a number of times. Uh, I just I get charged up every time I see it, in all honesty. Uh, I love uh, listening to those old radio station uh, programs like Unshackled, just hearing about people's testimonies and just hearing a solid presentation of the gospel. Just It's encouraging. I've, I've had it in my heart for years and years and years, but still, there's just something about hearing it. And so maybe this will be a, a good encouragement for you. Uh, also, if anybody got uh, a sheet tonight back in the pile of your fill-in-the-blanks that has a bunch of colors on it and all the answers, anybody grab that? Because I think I actually stuck my notes <laughs> in that stack of things. So if somebody's got all the answers and you just don't want to give it to me, you're cheating and you'll get a bad grade, okay? If not, while this is playing, I'm going to run back and uh, copy off another one. That's kind of funny. I hear somebody giggling. I think they got it. No? Okay. <laughs> there we go. introduce you to the gospel right now. You are a rebel. Whether you want to acknowledge it or not, I'll tell you straight up. You are a rebel against the living God. This is your natural disposition. Why? Because you were born in sin. We are in a prison cell. And it takes the awakening and the grace of God, you call it the provenient grace of God, to awaken us to the fact that we are lost and we can't get out. We're headed towards destruction fast. The enemy, because of our rebellion against God, has legal rights to harm and harass our life. There you are behind the prison cell. Help! I need out! You can't get out. Those prison bars are stronger than any adamant. There is no way you can cut them because they're stronger than diamond. It is impenetrable. You cannot escape. You're doomed because when the enemy comes in in the very end, and he's going to finish you off because he has legal right to do it. And he's going to relish every minute of it. 
in strolls your intercessor, your mighty man. And he stands between you and that accuser, and he takes the hit that was rightfully yours. He takes the blow that was intended for you. That is an extraordinary reality that he was turned to a pulp and he actually died. God died for you. Over your prison cell, it is always said condemned, separated eternally from God, guilty. And then suddenly it switches. When you realize what Jesus Christ has done, it says justified. It says forgiven, redeemed. Here's the problem. Most of us have stopped with the good news right there. The blood of Jesus Christ has been shed and he was killed. I want you to know that is unbelievable news. But we are still in a prison cell. And so we're praising God from within a prison cell going, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for changing the sign on the outside of the prison. And God's word says, could you check the door to the prison cell? Because my blood was shed for more than just forgiveness. Forgiveness was the avenue through which he could make the escape for us. He isn't just interested in dealing with the consequences or the penalty of sin. He's also dealt with the problem of sin. That's the door. It's unlocked. The door to the prison cell is unlocked. Walk out. Smell the open air of freedom and liberty in the life of Jesus Christ. When you get outside the prison cell, there's like this chariot that's waiting. Emissaries from the king, and they say the king beckons you into his presence. How bizarre this is when you realize that you were a rebel, that you were undeserving completely. The living God has literally given up his life for you, and now he has set you free. And now the very king is beckoning you into his presence. It's like, are you sure you have the right guy here? I'm a rebel. I I stood against my God. I spat in his face. How how could he want me? The king beckons you. You get in the chariot. And as you're pulling into the kingdom, you're looking for where they might drop you off. You're looking for that poor district. You say, where where are you taking me? Well, into the very near presence of the king. He wants you to live right where he lives. Not just the penalty, not just the problem, but an invitation into his very near presence. But as you're coming in, the emissaries say, he wants to adopt you as his child. We are brought in and invited near to share his heart. You come into his presence totally broken before the reality of what he has done for you. I don't deserve this. Why have you done this for me? I love you. I have a commission for you. For me? You want to have me work for you? I want you to work for me. I want you to represent me. Absolutely. Anything I can do for you, just tell me. I need you to go back to that prison cell that I took you out of because there's a whole bunch more that need to know about me and my love and my truth. Will you go for me? In a heartbeat, I would would gladly serve you any way you want, any way you ask. I need to forewarn you. I'm going to send you out and you'll be as a sheep among wolves. They'll kill you. They'll destroy you. They'll hate you. They'll persecute you. They will do whatever they can to harm you. I'm in. I'll do it, God. I don't care. You shed your blood for me. I would gladly 
shed my blood for you. Take my body, take my blood, spend it any way you want. I belong to you in, in covenant. Take me, Lord Jesus, send me. The commission, not just the penalty, not just the problem, not just the invitation to his very near presence, not just the adoption as a son and a daughter of the King of Kings, but we are commissioned to represent him. And I want you to realize that is a privilege beyond all other privileges to bear the very name, the very image, the very reputation of God Almighty. And he says, I ask you to go. Go and make disciples of all men. Go and be unashamed of my gospel and preach it. Go, rescue the lost in the power of my name. For is not the lamb that was slain worthy to receive the reward of his suffering? I'll go. And as you're beginning to head out with his blessing, he says, hold it. Wait, there's one more thing. Not just the penalty, not just the problem, not just the invitation to his very near presence, not just the adoption as a son or a daughter of the king, and not just the commission. This is the capstone. If you think that is all good, you could wrap that all up into one ball and it still falls short of the final one. Because this final one is so condescending on the part of our king. It is so bewildering. It is so extraordinary, so amazing. And this is the truth that turns the world upside down. Before you go, what I'm sending you out to do is impossible. I know. And if you do it in your own strength, you'll fail. I don't care. I'm willing to do whatever you ask of me. And if you want me to go in there and just die, I'm willing. I'm sending you out to be a victor. My children will not lose. Would you give me your body? And I will come in my home and I will take those hands of yours and make them my hands I will take those feet of yours and make them my feet I will take that mouth of yours and it will speak my words I will take those eyes of yours and they can now see what I need you to be seen in this world and I will take your heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh so that it will beat with my burdens and you will care for the very things that I care about and your prayers will become my prayers and your life and your attitude and your behavior every minute of every day will be the very behavior of God. Will you allow me to overtake your life? Because then we go into this world as little lambs with the faces of lions. Because the living God Almighty, the consuming, almighty, sovereign God dwells within his children. And as we stand and the wolf pack surrounds us, we stand in the authority in the name of Jesus and we will not back down because we do not head off to war to lose. We head off to war to win. Our God mocks all the powers of earth and hell through fluffy little lambs because his lambs beat the wolf pack. That's the gospel. The gospel trounces upon all the powers of earth and hell and demonstrates to the universe the manifold wisdom of God that he is in control. And even though we look weak, and even though physically and naturally we are weak, spiritually, greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. That is good news. And it is a lot better than what's being dealt out today in the church. We need to rise up, proclaim the gospel, and say, I
you don't have to fail any longer. Your God is ready to do it in and through you. You can't do it. You can't muster up the discipline. You can't muster up the intellect. You can't muster up the strength. You can't muster up the perseverance and the fortitude. He can. You can't love the lost. You can't love those that spit upon your face. He can. Don't pray that God would teach you how to love like he loves. Pray that he would fill you with himself and he would love in and through you. Don't pray that he would teach you to have joy. Pray that the living God full of joy would enter into you. Don't pray that he would teach you how to be peaceful. Ask for the God of peace, the Prince of Peace to fill you. Because if you try and imitate your own strength, you will be a miserable replica. But if you allow the impartation of Jesus Christ to overtake you, suddenly it all works because it's him imitating himself. And he's very good at being God. Gets me charged up every time I see it. Love it. Well, folks, we need to realize that the, the plan God has for us begins with salvation. So many times we look at receiving Christ as Savior as if we've arrived. It's like, no, that's just the beginning. Of a journey, the plans that God has for us are so, so full. Uh, it will take an entire lifetime uh, to continue this great work, uh, but we need that understanding under our belts. So, uh, let's begin with our paper. We're really gonna have to roll tonight. I'd like to give you a little bit of time. We only have about three group work questions at the end, so it's, it's not as involved as usual. But uh, we will get through this as best we can. So speaking about salvation in and of itself, uh, if the Bible is extremely clear how a soul is guaranteed forgiveness and restoration, uh, uh, excuse me, a restored relationship with God and an eternal home in heaven, why do so many so-called Christian denominations disagree on the topic? The Bible's clear. Why is there all this disagreement? Why does our heart naturally resist the powerful, life-changing plan of God's grace. Well, what we talked about last week with the depravity of man, that's the short answer. We're all sinners, we're messed up. And we make the beautiful grace of God a difficult thing when it's not. We resist the, that which is reaching out to us. But thank God that he is who he is and still reaches out to us and still gives us hope. Psalm 119.34, give me understanding. And I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Sometimes we just need to come back and take another look at the gospel and salvation, what it is. In our church doctrinal statement, we believe that salvation is the gift of God brought to man by grace 
and received by personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, whose precious blood was shed on Calvary for the forgiveness of our sins. We believe that all sins, except blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, are forgivable. Uh, I wasn't quite ready for that last sentence, uh, speaking about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, but it's in the Bible, so we've got to cover it. So let's look at the key statements in that uh, paragraph right there. And again, we need to have simple, clear understanding so that we can give and communicate to others these vital concepts. So salvation in and of itself is a, a term that catches a lot of people off guard. If you ask, hey, have you ever been saved? If somebody who's not used to church, they're like, well, saved, you know, when I was a kid, I almost drowned once. That's what they're thinking. We're referring to, have you recognized that you're a sinner, believe that Jesus is God's son, died on the cross from your sins, he rose from the get dead, that you've accepted that to save your soul. We're thinking that whole ball of wax with just with the word saved. And lost people are like, uh, I guess I have been saved, but we need to communicate clearly and carefully in this matter of the gospel. Now, Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So salvation is having your eternal soul rescued from spending its well-deserved punishment in the eternal lake of fire. Man is unable to serve his punishment or pay his debt, however you'd like to explain that, in any other way. So on our own, we're in trouble. We really are. The depravity last week we spoke of is extensive and obvious. It's pretty hard to deny that people aren't messed up. Some people still do. But on your sheet there, um, this is a a simple logical progression. These are the, the principles that God lays out in the Bible that are really, really important. Because if you pull out one of these three boxes, then you don't get the fourth box. Or at least it it won't make sense to people. That first box, personal responsibility, like we see in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that highlights our personal responsibility. We have sinned. All right. Then you add the concept of Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That first half of the verse, that's the reality of the punishment. And people need to deal with that as well. But then also add to that the inability to self-rescue. Romans 3.10 tells us that that the law is there to convince us, to show us of our sin. Romans 5.6, for when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. So when we have these three core principles, that initiates the desire for God's plan. In Acts 4.12, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. In Acts 16.31, the the jailer in Philippi said, gentlemen, what must I do to be saved? He actually wanted to know. But folks, if we look back at those first three boxes and you yank one of them out, you basically get the response of most people nowadays not quite needing or understanding the gospel. Let's pull out personal responsibility. Well, my sins aren't that bad, and I'm not that bad of a person. So therefore, why would I need Jesus as my Savior? That's great for you, but I really don't need it. Why? Because they're not willing to take personal responsibility for their sin. 
What if you yanked out that second box, the reality of punishment? Well, hell is just this old-fashioned, scare the little kids into obedience kind of thing. But I don't believe that's real. Well, if you don't believe eternal punishment is a thing, why would you need Jesus? Because, you know, when you're dead, you're just going to go to heaven. Or you're just going to be worm food. Or you're just going to be reincarnated as a butterfly. I don't know. I mean, you get to pick whatever you want if there really isn't a hell. Or what if you pull out that third box, the inability to rescue yourself? Well, okay, I'm a sinner, and hell's real, but if I do a good job and obey the rules and do what my church tells me and give and go through ceremonies, I should be okay. See, now all of a sudden, if you don't realize that you cannot rescue yourself, you're going to try to be a good person to rescue yourself. So any one of those three boxes, if it's not there in a person's head and heart, they really don't grasp the gospel because they don't need it or they don't believe it's a, a situation that applies to them. So as we go through the gospel with folks, we need to be slow and careful. The gospel is not a 30-second, Jesus died for you, want to accept Christ right now, pray a prayer and you're fine thing. These are simple concepts, but they're hard to wrestle with because they deal with our very heart and soul. So please don't ever rush. This is the, the uncomfortable part of the gospel. We all want to rush to Jesus died for you, and faith and choice are simple. But those concepts don't make sense until the nitty-gritty important thing, groundwork gets laid. So in that respect, we have to understand what salvation is. It's rescue because of the great danger that we're in. Another phrase is the gift. It tells us in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Uh, the term gift is also used in Romans six twenty three, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So this concept should not be hard for us. A gift has no cost for the recipient. I'm sure you guys could probably figure out that blank without me putting it up there. All the cost is paid by the giver. All you have to do is go to, to Christmas. Christmas morning, do you pass out a bill? Well, hey, this is what your uh, gift cost me, so as soon as you fork over the cash, I will give you your Christmas present. Anybody ever tried that with your kids? Ever done that with a, a coworker or a family member? That's not how Christmas works, because Christmas you give gifts. But that's what makes it a gift. It's free for them. It costs you something, but it doesn't cost them anything. Why is it we lose this concept with salvation? Well, it's because our depraved human hearts want to earn forgiveness from God. This is an attempt to establish our own worthiness before God. Forgive that typo, just cross off the word, it's... Such a prideful dependence on personal effort ruins our ability to receive salvation as a gift. And that's at the core of most religions out there. It's just a different way to try to earn your salvation. Because it makes me feel good. God owes it to me. Have you ever sat there and tried to argue with somebody at Christmas they give you a gift and say, great, thank you so much. And you pull out your, your wallet and try to give them money for it. 
Well, that's socially awkward. You really shouldn't do that. Yeah, but it's such a nice gift. I feel like I need to pay you for it. Again, that ruins the concept. Then it would be something bought, not given, not received, not a gift. Folks, see religious effort for what it is. This is what people are struggling with. They want to earn salvation. It's, it's a matter of pride in the heart. Romans 11.6, so it's either going to be by your efforts or it's going to be by God's grace. It can't be both. If by grace, then it's no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. You wreck grace. But if it be of works, then it is, not, it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. You bust works. It's got to be one or the other. People struggle with that because of our pride. This is what we're dealing with when we're sharing the gospel. These are the things people really need to get down to brass tacks, as you say, and, and recognize this is where a lot of the discussion for us comes. So don't, don't jump over it. It's a hard discussion because it's a hard concept to grasp. You've got to give up your effort and just receive God's gift because you need it and you can't get it for yourself? Absolutely. This is why the gospel is, is a, a powerful work of the Holy Spirit, and it's not a fast one on our part. We need to be patient and let God do this work to convince th- those that we're talking to, just like the Holy Spirit convinced you and me. Next phrase, bought, excuse me, brought to man by grace. Salvation is brought to us by the grace of God. Um, Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And it's good to park on this and just contemplate. After all the evil and harm mankind has done, why would God offer humanity the means to be forgiven? Man, it was me. I just would have scrubbed it and started over. Like Adam and Eve, you guys wrecked it. Zap, done. Uh, let's, let's try Steve and Betty. You know, maybe they'll do a better job. But God doesn't do that. Have you ever wondered why? Well, the more we study Scripture, we realize that the character, the nature of God is the answer. It really is the only explanation. We see in 1 John 4, 8 through 10, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. That's his very core nature. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the final satisfying work for our sins. Now maybe you'd looked at that sentence and say, well, God's love is the only explanation. But really, folks, it's God's nature. It's God's character. Love is a powerful part of that. But we see other aspects of Scripture. Psalm 145, 8 and 9, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Truly, it's the character of God. And it's a good thing, folks, because we would have zero hope if this is not the true and the living God. I'm glad it's not Allah, because he is fickle and capricious, and not a single Muslim has any guarantee of heaven. You could follow every single one of their mandates, 
and get to heaven, and according to them, Allah still has the right to boot you out of paradise just because he says so. There are no guarantees in their religion. That's scary. But that's also a made-up God. This is the true and the living God who works and guarantees because of who he is. Hallelujah. Understanding grace and mercy, uh, I have yet to find anybody that doesn't, who, who hasn't been able to give me a clear definition for both of these things. We talk about grace and mercy and how wonderful they are. Just ask, so can you tell me the difference between grace and mercy? And most people struggle and they like hearing the difference because it's really fascinating. Grace is giving a gift that's not deserved. Flip side, mercy is not giving a punishment that is deserved. Man, there are so many cool illustrations for the difference between grace and mercy and how they beautifully harmonize in the gospel. So as we're, we're sharing the gospel, these are things that if we talk about and we take the time to go through these things, people's understanding start to open up through the work of the Holy Spirit. We're sharing verses, we're sharing concepts, and instead of using spiritual jargon that we don't realize may be confusing them, we're just getting down to basics. I'm like, oh, wow, this is starting to make sense. Yeah, I recognize my sin, and wow, the Bible's really clear that that's going to be my eternal fate. Man, that's kind of scary. What do, you, what do you mean I can't fix it? But I thought if I, I did all these things, and, and I was always told that if I went through these ceremonies, that, that's not what the Bible says. And then you look at grace, you look at mercy, you look at what God has done. Folks, this understanding is powerful, and we need to be responsible and careful with that. We also see the phrase, received by personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Really, when we lay all this groundwork, when we get to this point, it's not as much of a struggle. I'll be honest with you, sometimes when I'm talking with folks of other religions, we always disagree on the choice of faith in Christ alone. And that is an issue. But really, when you lay the, the previous things we've talked about, this makes a lot of sense. It's not your religion versus mine. The fact that we're all sinners, doomed to hell, unable to fix ourselves, God is showing us his grace and mercy, then all of a sudden making a choice, Jesus did that for me, that's what I'm going to trust. That makes a lot more logical, reasonable sense. But again, it's because uh, God's word has laid out all these concepts, the Holy Spirit of God is moving to understand and grasp them, so we've got to, to work with the Holy Spirit on that. So First John 1.12 says, Many has received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So generic faith in God will not be accepted by God. And a lot of people are, are really shocked if, uh, when they're shown uh, Matthew chapter 7, uh, verse 21 through verse 23. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, for I did not know you. It's not the things that you did. It's not the fact that you called me master and teacher. It's a personal relationship Jesus is looking for. Man, is that going to 
just devastate a lot of people when they stand before God someday. But I grew up in a Baptist church. I could quote John 3.16. I got all my patches in Awana. I even led people to Christ. But you never made the steps to personally put your faith in Jesus as your Savior. That's a world of difference, folks. This is a work of God. Generic faith does not work. The realization that an individual will stand before God in judgment reinforces the truth that he or she must make a personal choice of faith in this life. Hebrews 9.27, And it's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. It doesn't really make sense that we stand before God one-to-one in judgment and then discuss the issue. More than once I've heard from somebody's lips, well, you know, when I go face the man upstairs, we'll deal with it then. A little late. Because God says, you have to deal, now is the day of salvation. You can't wait. It's too late then. So standing before God in one-to-one judgment makes logical sense that we need to get it handled now before that day. It's kind of like saving up gas before you buy a car. You don't do that. You get a car, then you do the gas. So why are you thinking it? You get in the cart before the horse. Deal with things now, then other things later. So we also see the phrase, uh, precious blood shed on Calvary. It's very worthwhile stopping and looking at this. First Peter 1, 18 and 19, For as much as ye know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The price that God paid speaks of his tremendous love for us and our extreme value to him. Never forget how valuable you are to God. And folks, this is why we have communion. Because remembering the cost of Jesus' sacrifice is actually built into Christianity through the periodic observance of the Lord's Supper, through communion. We need to contemplate the price he paid. That's how much you are worth. On your worst day, you have God's phenomenal love. That's what he paid just for you. You've got to recognize that. That's life-changing right there. But we also see forgiveness. Ephesians 1, 7, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Another concept people really struggle with. They're like, well, I just ask God to forgive me of my sins, and, and then I'm good. Well, here's what you don't get. It's just a quick, oh, I'm sorry, and slate's clean. No. Not that simple. Forgiveness can only come after justice has been satisfied. If you walked into a courtroom and you watched a judge go, I forgive you, you can walk. Nobody's paid the fines, nobody's done the time. A crime has been done, but the judge just lets the criminal off? Is that a just and good judge? No, you're thinking that guy's been paid off. Something is corrupt here. There is no justice. Society is founded on justice. And God is holy and pure and righteous. Justice has to be satisfied first. 
Justice requires that the punishment be given and fulfilled. So thankfully, God says that our punishment can be transferred to a substitute that is sinless. Uh, Forgive the jumbling of the letters there. And this is the concept that that blows me away, because we literally are hopeless unless this is true. So who says somebody can swap out? Well, God does. That's not something I made up. That's in Scripture. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him, talking about Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So our justice is paid, the the punishment is fulfilled, it's just put onto Christ instead of us. He's the sinless substitute. That's why the whole Jesus dying on the cross is so important. It's not just that Jesus came and died for an idea as a statement of being righteous when men are sinful. No, it's literally he's taking our place. That needs to be grasped. And we see the same thing in 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. So the concepts of grace and mercy, as powerful as they are, only have their greatest power after the weight of personal cost has been appreciated. This is something we need to be careful of when we're training our kids. Uh, Let's look at a little illustration here. Let's say you're heading home tonight and uh, you get pulled over by the police. You're doing 10 over. That's pretty normal. You know, nine year mine or nine year fine, ten year mine, right? That's what some of us go with. When I was a kid, it was four year fine, five year mine. Well, I guess it's even more now. Whatever. But if the cop pulls you over, takes the 15 minutes back in the car, walks up to your window, license and registration, writes out a ticket, you're like, oh man. And they said, um, by the way, somebody's already paid your ticket for you. Have a good night. Ooh, cool. Boom, off you go, probably a little too fast. Full appreciation? No, man, I got off. This is cool. Now, hold on a second. Let's say you get pulled over. Cop says, by the full weight of the law, get out of the car. Cuff you. Stick you in the back of their squad car. Your car is towed and impounded. They take you to jail. You spend that night behind bars. Next day, you're in an orange jumpsuit with shackles on. You go before the judge. Judge says, were you guilty? We have evidence that you are. Done. You're spending 10 years in the clink. You're like, I only did 10 over. But you did wrong. And as they're hauling you up and out of the courtroom, somebody stands up and says, hold on a second, judge. I'll swap. They write out a check to pay your fine. Shackles come off you and onto them. Orange jumpsuit comes off of you and onto them. They get hauled away and the door slams. And you walk out of the courtroom free. See, that fear, that reality of what's about to happen to you has sunk in. And all of a sudden, that grace and that mercy, whoo, wow, my life is, you know how close I was to spending 10 years behind bars? I cannot believe somebody took my plate. Whoa, isn't that different than if you, the cop just said, uh, somebody's paid your ticket, have a good night, versus going through all the fear and the reality setting in. This is why the conviction of the Holy Spirit is so important in the process of salvation. Forgiveness 
has a cost to it. We need to recognize, and this is something that matures with time, the cost that Christ paid for us. This is why communion is so important. This is why constantly looking back at that gift of God continually changes our hearts. The deeper it sets in, the more we appreciate. We also see the phrase in the, in the church doctrinal statement, all sins. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Folks, God's plan is thorough. Every sin, past, present, and future, is covered by the blood of Jesus. Every shred of guilt, and therefore every shred of punishment, is erased. So folks think, well, as soon as you get saved, you know, all your sins are forgiven, just make sure you don't sin anymore, because what are you going to do then? That that doesn't even make sense. Jesus died on the cross for our sins 2,000 years ago. All of my sins are in the future. When Jesus said, all your sins are forgiven, all means all, whether before I accepted Christ or after. doesn't matter. It's all there. Praise God for that. God's plan is thorough. Because if there's a way I could mess it up, I would. He made it foolproof. Another phrase, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. We've got about five minutes left tonight. Uh, these uh, questions on the back are things that you guys can work through on your own. I'm sorry. Uh, but blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, Matthew chapter 12, verses 31 and 32, uh, give us that there is something that will not be forgiven. And I don't have... Oh, yep, there we go. I just got my slides out of order. Sorry about that. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. All right, class, as soon as you hit a weird verse that is hard to understand, what's the first thing you need to get? You need to get the context. Thank you. All right, you get a bonus point if you said the word context. You always look before it and after it. You can mess with the verse if you just look at the verse. You get before and the after it, you get a better understanding of what's going on. Jesus had just done a miracle. The Pharisees walked in and said, no, 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 he didn't do that miracle with a gift of God. That wasn't the power of God. That was the power of Satan. So they accused the power of the Holy Spirit as being satanic. Jesus said, there's your problem. If you refuse to see that the power that I'm using is from God, you remove your own hope. Now, it's... It's a difficult concept. The way it's phrased, people really struggle with it, and they go some weird directions. But this blind, twisted view kept the Pharisees from coming to Jesus for forgiveness. God can and will forgive all our sins, but believing that Jesus was satanically empowered will shut off our ability to go to him for that forgiveness. These men chose a view that removed their own hope. That's a dangerous thing. If we had a fire right now, and we had to get all of us out of this building, and I told you that that door was armed with explosives, as soon as it opens, it's going to blow up, how many of you would use that door? Would you use maybe another door? If you are convinced that is a bad option, 
you're going to take any other option possible. These guys said, Jesus, you're of satanic empowerment, therefore we are not coming to you for anything. Can those men be forgiven of their sins now? No, because they don't believe Jesus is the way. They removed their own hope. So it's an interesting turn of phrase that they will not be forgiven. It almost sounds like God refuses to forgive you. I like to look at it from the opposite angle. You've done something that removes your own ability to be forgiven. Because God wants to, but you don't want to come to him for it. So it is a, is a dangerous thing. Our views and our beliefs are very, very powerful. So as we close up, um, let me give you the last couple of blanks here. I'll just display them for you. There are a lot of illustrations that you could use for many of these concepts. The simple gift, we went over that, you know, giving somebody a bill for the Christmas, quote, present you gave them. That does not make sense, but it's kind of funny. It gets people to, to think a little bit. That's not how it works. Exactly. That's not how salvation works. It is a gift, free for you, but God paid for it. Grace and mercy, there's a difference. Kids threw a, knocked a baseball through the window. They went up to the neighbor lady to get the baseball back. And instead of making them pay for the, the window, she just said, here's your ball back, now get out of my yard. So that's mercy. She didn't make them pay for it. What if those same kids went up to the door, the lady gave the baseball back and said, I made you some cookies, have a great summer. You don't have to pay for the window. Well, do they deserve cookies? Not at all. That's the grace side. So a cute little story like that, you can embellish it with some details that you want. People really understand things better when put into an illustration form. Justice and a substitute. You can use the one with the speeding ticket. Personal faith or choice. Man, a parachute is such a great illustra- illustration. You're in, a, you're in a plane that's going down. Stewardess comes by and said, uh, we're going to get down to a, a proper height and we're going to have to jump or else you're going to die on the plane. You've got a couple options. We'll give you Dumbo's magic feather and out you go. We're going to give you a good sturdy umbrella from Mary Poppins and out the window you go. Or uh, we're going to give you some cardboard wings that we got from Oriental Trading. Out you go. Or we have a brand new issue parachute. Which one would you like? Well, I'll take the parachute. Okay. Would you stand there with it, holding it like a briefcase, or would you put it on? Okay, same thing with Christ. You've got to pick which one will work. Choose it, use it, put it on, just like you would trust a parachute. Maybe it's more like a, a firefighter's direction. Firefighter busts in the room and the place is burning down, said, this is the way out, let's go. Well, I don't, I don't like that door. I want another option. Really? If you got a guaranteed way out, why do you argue? Take it. But you got to make that choice. Simple illustrations, folks, but they really, really help out. So I'd like to encourage you to uh, take these sheets home. Uh, kind of think through why people don't believe that you can even know that you've got eternal security, that you've got a, a guaranteed way to heaven. Why would people not want to find that out? Well, do some talking maybe with your spouse or your kids uh, this weekend or throughout this week. Uh, look at Psalm 103, verse 12. Beautiful illustration uh, that God wants to communicate to us about what it really means to be forgiven by him.
And oops, Catholics love to use suicide as the unforgivable sin. I've heard that so many different times. So read through the passage that, that we referred to, Matthew 12, 22 to 37, talking about the unforgivable sin. Now that you understand it a little better, comb through that passage and see if it talks about anything, anything at all about suicide. Because if somebody were to mention that, you can take them to that passage and show them the truth. But you've got to be familiar with those verses. We'll have a word of prayer. We'll let you go tonight. Thank you for your patience. Father, salvation is life-changing. It's eternity-changing. It's life-changing, Father, to, to really look back at what you've done for us personally through the forgiveness, the, the sacrifice, the, the concepts. God, it, it changes the way that think, we think, the way we feel. Help us to be very, very careful with these concepts, to be patient, to communicate them clearly and simply. Lord, to, to not rush through things as we speak with different people, but Lord, to simply give these simple truths and trust you, Holy Spirit, to do an awesome work on people's hearts. Lord, it is a joy to be a part of this. May we be faithful to share the gospel. May thinking through it one more time, Lord, well up that appreciation in our hearts. Thank you for the responsibility and the, the joy of being a part of this work. Help us to be faithful witnesses, Lord, to really absorb these things and to use them very, very soon in regard to the lost, God. We love you and we thank you in the name of Christ. Amen.